Isn't that cool? Man. Hey, uh, Eric over here, that's bass, isn't it? Playing bass. He is a new daddy. Uh, first time daddy, so pray for him. And this young lady here, I know she doesn't look like it, but she's a grandma now. Well, she has been. Grandma again. So anyway, congratulations to them. I think Eric and Emily are doing fine with that little one. Uh, I told this at Vonderly, so if you come and help there, you've already heard this. And uh, in fact, it's so old, many of you maybe have already heard it. But this is one of my favorite stories about Herman and Henrietta. And they were touring their brand new house, and it's a house that Henrietta paid for with her money. And she often reminded Herman of that fact. And as they were going through each room of the house, she said to her husband, Now, Herman, if it weren't for my money, we wouldn't be here. And Herman just didn't say a word. And that afternoon, a truck delivered to the house, a load of furniture, furniture that Henrietta paid for. And after the furniture was in place, the couple, couple toured the house again. And as they observed each room, beautifully and magnificently decorated, Henrietta once again reminded her husband, Herman, if it were not for my money, this furniture wouldn't be here. Herman said nothing. And then late in the afternoon, a truck came with a special piece of furniture, which was to be the focal point of the den, a combination of a sound system, big screen, TV, computer, all wrapped into one gorgeous piece of furniture, which Henrietta paid for. And when it was in place, Henry again addressed her husband, said, if it were not for my money, that piece of furniture would not be here. And finally, Herman spoke, said, honey, I don't want to make you feel bad. If it weren't for your money, I wouldn't be here. Ouch. Two weeks ago, James spoke to the Henriettas of the world, the wealthy, those who have money. Today, he speaks to the Hermans of the world, who don't have so much and might be poor and struggling. Back then, there wasn't much hope for people to uh, change their plight. If you were poor, you were probably going to be poor the rest of your life. Many of them were slaves, and they would be slaves until they died. And the dominating message to the rich was, you beware, you watch out, don't get tied to this world. Money has all sorts of temptations and evils tied in with it, but the poor have temptations too. Two of Satan's tools against us are ease and hardship. Ease, he seduces us with the world's goods and toys. We get lax and soft in our spiritual lives. With hardship, he knows it's tough to keep the faith when you can't make ends meet, or maybe you're a single parent with three or five kids, and, or your health isn't, is a constant struggle, or if you're alone, and James wants to encourage you today. James 5, 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, one thing James does not say, he doesn't say it's going to get better. Tomorrow's going to be a new day. Because for most of them, it was not going to get better. Not in this life. Their only hope was to wait for the coming of the Lord. When we go to church on Tuesdays at Vonderly, we cannot give most of those residents very much hope for this life. For most of them, it's not going to get better. And about all we can say is just wait. Your day is coming. And I cannot stand up here today and promise your situation is going to improve in this life either. It might. In fact, it probably will for many of you. I've seen numerous marriages where you thought, 
there's no way this marriage can make it. And they hung in there. And, and research has shown this, that if you hang in there, it often does get better. It can get better. Or maybe you're new to church and it's a little awkward and uncomfortable. You know, I'm not sure I fit in. You just hang in there. It'll happen. Or you're a struggling parent, and whether it's toddlers or teens that you're raising. You, know, you get frustrated and you just have to hang in there. It will probably get better. Life often does get better when we persevere and hang in there. But it might not. And sometimes all we can do is just wait till Jesus returns. Now, James uses farming imagery, which is very uh, easy for us to relate to. How many of you grew up on a farm, by the way? Uh, yeah, a whole bunch of you. Uh, I think it's one of the best occupations for raising kids, except for ministry, seriously. But farming's good. You le- learned a lot of great lessons on the farm. My uncle, I worked for him every summer on the farm, and he said I ought to pay him for working on the farm because all the life lessons I learned. I disagreed with that. But here are some implications that James gives us from farming and some others that we can draw out of it. Uh, these carry some spiritual truths for us. And one image that he talks about is the farmer waiting patiently for the spring and autumn rains. I know we haven't had to do a lot of waiting this year. We've gotten the rain. But I do remember this past spring coming on one Sunday morning. It was a little bit dry and we could use a little rain. And all you could do is wait. And waiting is a part of life. Farmers are forced to live by faith. They have trust, have to trust the rain will come. And sooner or later, it usually does. But in the meantime, you just wait. I grew up in a family with five boys and two parents and one bathroom. You learn to wait. Seven people, one bathroom. Bob Hope had six brothers. He said waiting for the bathroom is how he learned how to dance. <laughs> so waiting is part of life. You go to Disney, you're going to wait. You go to Walmart. Very often you're going to wait. If you're pregnant, you're going to wait nine months. Most anything worth having is you're going to have patience and have to wait. Good education is going to take time and some perseverance and hanging in there. If you want to raise good children, you're just going to have to hang in there. And there's days you're going to want to eliminate them. I get that. So waiting, perseverance, just that's life. Now, we all recognize certain logos, these logos here, don't we? Yeah. And for many people around the world, really, Fast food restaurants represent speed, efficiency, and convenience. At least they're supposed to. Sanford DeVoe, a researcher at the University of Toronto, wanted to explore if this fast food culture of ours was changing our lives beyond just our eating habits. So DeVoe and another colleague conducted a series of experiments in which researchers subliminally flashed corporate logos like these, McDonald's, KFC, Burger King, And then another group saw images, but no fast food logos. So we have two groups, one seeing the logos, the other did not. And when they were asked to do an unrelated task, the fast food group tried to complete it much faster than the non-fast food group, just by seeing these logos, these subliminal messages. In another experiment, flashes of fast food images made students less able to sit back and enjoy music. And this one blew me away. A third experiment found that people exposed to fast food logos showed a greater reluctance for saving. And based on those experiments, DeVoe has concluded fast food helps us save time. But even just thinking about fast food restaurants make us live with more speed and less patience. DeVoe said fast food culture doesn't just change the way we eat, but it can also fundamentally alter the way we experience our time. Waiting is a part of life, but our lives and our culture today make it harder to wait and to be patient. James used an example also of Job. 
as an example of patience in the face of suffering. James is speaking to people, many who were going through persecution and they did not have an easy life. And farmers encounter machinery problems and weeds and drought and flooding. It's just the way it is. And that leads to the second truth that difficulties are part of life. Early in my ministry, an older minister told me that studies had shown that 60% of what you encounter in ministry as a minister will be negative. 60% will be negative. Uh, there are people hurting, some are angry, there will be conflict, there will be criticism, there will be budget problems, and it's just constant and ongoing. And we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus said that we are going to have hardship. James talked about the Old Testament prophets. They suffered. Job lost everything. And uh, I want to say, by the way, of all the, besides all the negatives in ministry, it has also been shown that ministry is one of the most fulfilling professions today. And that makes sense because no profession has more purpose or meaning than ministry. Part of the problem we have today is we have been almost brainwashed into thinking life is supposed to always be good. We're just seeing it constantly, TV commercials continually showing plastic smiles and people having fun and happy families and happy kids and happy parents. And I look at my life and why am I not always happy? And you're promised if you get a new car, you'll be happy. Get a new mouthwash, you'll be happy. Get a new pill, you'll be happy. Get a new hemorrhoid medicine, that'll make you happy. You know, whatever it is, you know, life is supposed to be one happy party and we start believing it. And a lot of life is good. I mean, we live in a good time. We live in a good age. I get that. But it's not always good. And when the good doesn't happen, we got to sue somebody. It's somebody's fault. Because I deserve to be happy. Where, where do you get that? McDonald's says it. You deserve a break today. Well, really? There have been times in most of history, we're in a unique time, most of history people expected life to not be easy. People did not expect a lot of this life. You live 40 years and most of it's a struggle and then you die. And you just look forward to the next life. That's when things are going to get good. That's when there's going to be real joy. It's just not going to happen in this world. But today, because things are better, we want heaven on earth, and we don't want to wait for heaven. We want heaven now. And then we get frustrated. Difficulty is just part of life. And the sooner we learn that and accept that, the better life will be. I remember way back, uh, first time I got married. Uh, Been married twice, by the way, in case you didn't know that. And first wife died. Um, but I remember when we first got married, I was like 21 and she was 19, and you just, this is going to be glorious. This is going to be wonderful. It takes about two hours to figure out this is not going to be all the glory I thought it was going to be. And uh, you go through these first years of frustration in marriage, and, and then we started expecting less from each other. And it got better. Just expect difficulties. You know, and, and like Job, your day will come. But you have to wait. And in the meantime, there's going to be storms, there's going to be hail, there's going to be drought. But like the farmer, you keep planting, you keep harvesting, be patient and hang in there, and there'll be reward. And that leads to the next truth from farming, is that patience does not imply inactivity or apathy. Farmers often get kidded about working two months out of the year. The farmers I know work a little bit more than that. I mean, they have to do some preparation for the harvest. And as Christians, we are waiting for the harvest. We're waiting for Jesus to come. But in the meantime, we're still working. Even in the dry times, the tough times, we continue to do what he's called us to do. The Old Testament prophets, they continue to do what God called them to do, even though it didn't look like anyone was listening. Job maintained his righteousness, even though he lost everything in life. So when James tells us to wait, he doesn't mean sit around and twiddle your thumbs. 
we continue to serve God. We continue to be active. We, we serve him with all our heart, soul, and mind and strength. And then here's the good thing. One of the good things. While waiting, growth is taking place. We see this every day in central Illinois. You go out, corn grew a little more, beans a little more. Eugene Peterson said, waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We're enlarged in the waiting. We're growing as we wait. Patience and difficulties are part of the growth process in our spiritual lives. James 1 says, the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and that helps you mature and be complete and not lacking anything. And I think one of the mistakes we all tend to make is we equate spirituality with how we feel. When I feel good and feel close to God, then I must be close to God. When I'm not feeling good and I don't feel close to God, then I must be far from God. And we'll say things like on Sunday morning, boy, the Holy Spirit was present in the service today. Why do we say that? Because I just felt it. It's based on feelings. Is the Holy Spirit present only when we feel Him? Does God only work in us when we are joyful? When we go through hard times, we often feel far from God and God's abandoned us, but it's just not true. Feeling's important, I'm not putting that down, and the Holy Spirit works in our feelings, but it is possible that God is working more when you're not feeling it. Sometimes the down times are more valuable than the up times. Yeah, the view is better on the mountaintop, but the growth takes place in the valley. Anyone can be spiritual when it's feel good, you know, when it's easy and fun. The real growth happens when you have to persevere through those lows. So, so when you're going through dry time, it may be the most growing spiritual opportunity of your life. There's a concept in biology called the adversity principle. Biologists have found that habitual well-being is not good, not advantageous to a species. Animals and plants need to struggle. You go to a zoo and what do you see? flabby animals, continual retirement, food delivered to them every day. They have it made. All they have to do is lay around and yawn. And it's not healthy. A plant has, if they have all the water it needs, will not develop deep roots. So when you go through adversity or you're feeling far from God and things are rough, you may be growing more than when you're feeling good about your relationship to God. When you persevere, when that feeling is gone, that might be, do more for your spiritual growth than 10 mountaintops. However, beware this. Those difficulties are hard on relationships. Verse 9, it's not, a, it's not a mistake that he says don't grumble against one another. Because adversity affects how we affect, uh, treat other people. It affects our relationship to God very often too. If work is going badly... Often it's hard on your family. If finances are bad or your health is bad, it's harder to be pleasant to others. When we suffer, there's a natural inclination to grumble against God and against other people. I want you to imagine that you're taking a trip to God's country, which is not chestnut, okay? Serious, I heard this this last week. God's country, according to the Dyers and the Seberts, is Wisconsin. Elizabeth is going to school up there. They got a chance to go up and visit along Lake Michigan, and it really is cool country. So we're going to pretend Wisconsin, I mean, besides they have Lambeau Field in Wisconsin and wonderful, beautiful winters, okay? So this is heaven, and you have children. You're going to take a vacation, and you know the favorite, most asked question by children in the car is, are we there yet? Okay, have we reached Wisconsin? No, we're not even out of Logan County. Are we there yet? No, but we're almost to Bloomington. Now, these are the... 
I don't think the Seabert and Dyer kids were to do this. They're old enough now. But are we there yet? How about now? Well, no, we still got hours to go. Uh, how much farther? Long, long time. Just go to sleep. And if you have children, little children, what do they do? They fight. And you draw an imaginary line down the middle of the seat. You ever do that? Don't cross this line. I remember with my brothers, in order to cross the line without crossing the line, we would blow on each other. <laughs> Don't get it. Mom, he's blowing on me. And so, cut that, doing that, you know, and then we'd blow out of the corner of our mouth, you know, so we, just silliness. Impatience on a long journey makes us irritable and testy. Are we there yet? Have we reached heaven? Not in this life. One day you'll get there, but right now, you're on a journey, and that journey sometimes is long, and sometimes it's really hard, and it seems like you're never going to get there. To immature children, uh, a journey takes forever. To God, you know, the journey through this life is short. It's just a mist. To us sometimes, especially if it's hard, it can seem really long, and we want Wisconsin, but we're in Logan County. And we're disappointed. We've become less godly toward one another. Difficulties in waiting is just hard on our relationships. can be hard on our relationships. It's a test. But here's the good news. Good news. If you can remain patient, you will be rewarded. There's a repeated theme here. Verse 7, be patient until the Lord's coming. Verse 8, the Lord's coming is near. Verse 9, the judge is standing at the door. Over and over, he wants to tell them, God is coming. The harvest will come. Farmers know it. They're going to be rewarded. It's coming. And the whole book of James, really, in many ways, is a preparation for the end time. It's not going to be long. So get ready for that day. Because it's going to be here before you know it. And if you're rich... James says, you prepare for that day by not hoarding and being generous and laying up treasure in heaven and not on earth. And if you're poor and hurting, you prepare for that day by not getting bitter and grumbling about it. You just patiently hang in there and endure. Someone asked James Corbett, the heavyweight boxing champion, what it took to be a heavyweight champion. And he said, fight one more round. And sometimes that's all you can do. One round at a time. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. Some of you remember that song. One difficult circumstance is single parenting. Joe White, who's president of a national organization of camps for kids, observes many children from single-parent homes, and he observed that the parents who seem to have the greatest impact on their children are those with the character quality of relentlessness. They never give up. They refuse to let circumstances sidetrack them from raising children of faith. So they keep dragging them to church. They keep praying for them. They keep teaching them. They keep on keeping on. This past week, um, I was being a little reflective, and I was looking at our staff, and Casey and Garrett were not born when I started preaching. And I got to start thinking about Rob. Now, Rob's older. Rob was four months old when I started preaching, and Rob's pretty old. <laughs> and I got to think, I surely learned some things through, through all this, and, and I can listen to many things, but I want to list three things I've learned through the years. And number one, I've learned that I cannot do this job. It is not possible. I'm in over my head. There are too many issues to deal with, too many challenges, too many mountains to climb. I don't have the skills, knowledge, or personality to be a minister, and Satan's a whole lot smarter than I am. I'm also convinced that our elders and staff are not up to it. They're great people, but they can't do it either. And I'm convinced neither any one of you. And if you're a parent, there's days you feel just like that. I cannot do this job. I cannot raise the kids the way I'm supposed to be raising them. I cannot be as consistent as I should be. I feel like a failure. And as Christians, you feel the same. I can't do this. I can't live for Jesus the way he wants me to live. And that's the first thing I've learned. I can't. 
Just admit it, I can't. Second thing I've learned, God can. Man, things happen, I, I can't explain it. I mean, some would call them miracles, some may dispute, I don't know. I can't believe that marriage made it. I mean, six months ago, I wouldn't have given you spit for that marriage, and here they are, doing fine. I can't believe that person came to Jesus. Seriously? I can't believe that conflict got reconciled. And we're in this spiritual battle that is beyond any of our abilities. No human can make God's church the way God wants it to be. And no matter how wonderful or talented or incredible that we are, it is the Holy Spirit and the presence of God that made the New Testament church go, and that's what's going to make the 21st century church go. And when we do rely on God and prayer, it is astounding what can happen. If we persevere and have this attitude of serving, even when it's tough, and living by faith that he will act, his hand will do something. He, his hand will act. And the third thing, it takes time. Good things will happen, but usually not without a lot of hard work and perseverance. Good things are going on here, but it hasn't happened overnight. You just persevere. Most things that are worth doing aren't going to be done overnight. Parenting, one, day, one good day parenting isn't going to do it. It's years and years. You've, I know you've heard the amazing story of Glenn Cunningham, and I've used this illustration before, but it is one of the most astounding stories I've ever heard, where Glenn and his brother Floyd were stoking a fire in a Kansas schoolhouse and made the mistake of thinking a can of gasoline was a can of kerosene, and the resulting explosion killed Floyd Cunningham and left Glenn Cunningham severely burned, especially in the legs, seven years old. The doctors decided to amputate both legs because of infection. Glenn begged them not to, and they decided to delay the amputation, and partly because of the nursing of his mother, the infection left the legs, the legs were saved, but even then he was told he'd never walk again. But Glenn Cunningham was determined, and he underwent excruciating therapy, and he not only walked, but at the age of 12, he won his first race, and he continued to run until he won in the Olympics and was billed as the fastest man in the world at that time. And when he was asked how he was able to do it, he said, when I first started running, my father would run alongside of me and he would whisper, don't quit, Glenn. Keep running, Glenn. Don't give up. Hang in there. Frankly, there's times I want to quit. And I'm sure there's times you want to quit. And you want to pack it in. And if you feel on the edge of giving up, I want you to remember the whisper of your heavenly father, through this word, through the word of James, don't quit. Hang in there. Don't grow weary. I'm working in you. You'll grow stronger through this, and your reward is coming. The Father's whispering to you today, hang in there. Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. The majority won't make it. They will not persevere. You stand firm. The victory is seldom to the smartest or those with the most ability or the best look. The victory usually goes to the determined. So maybe you're a Sunday school teacher that's discouraged. Maybe you're in a marriage that's just not healthy right now. Maybe you're wondering about your kids. Maybe you're discouraged about your health. You stand firm to the end. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. 
Father, this is not one of the prettier virtues that you teach us. It's not very popular, but I would pray that we would look at your word and see this example of Job and the prophets and farmers and how patience is part of following you. Perseverance, just hanging in there. Thank you for reminding us that you are working, even in the dry times. Thank you for your word of encouragement to never, ever, ever give up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.